John 20, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. Every year we do a series just focusing in during a season that's called Easter Tide. And basically what's happening during this season is churches, and us being one of them, are celebrating Easter. This is like Easter Sunday number, what are we at, three. And we're talking about the implications of the resurrection. And one way that we like to talk about it is what does it look like for us to raise life in a culture of death? Or what, how one author said it, how do we become Easter people in a Good Friday world? What does it mean to live as though knowing that death has lost its sting, that we're going to live forever in some mysterious way, that we uh, know that God is on the throne and making all things new, that in some way we know where we stand with God, we know what God's like. There are all these implications, we believe, if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, of what the world has been like and what's been happening since this moment. And so this is one of the earliest accounts that we have in history of this probably written about 70 AD. So she came running. This woman, Mary Magdalene, finds the tomb. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved and said. So let's be really clear. That line, the other disciple, the one Jesus loved. So there's Peter and then the one Jesus loved. Do you want to know the, the book that we're writing, that we're reading out of is, is a letter written, a book written by somebody named John. Can you guess who's being referred to in this moment as the one that Jesus loves? Yes, yeah, John. It's interesting. <laughs> we don't know where they've put him. So we talked about this last week, Mary in distress. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running. Interesting detail. But the other disciple, right, the one Jesus loved, outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but still, but did still not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still uh, in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first. Anyone else sense like some sort of rivalry happening here? Who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. This is the word of the Lord. Something happening in this text. Obviously, he arrived first if he's running faster, first of all. Strange detail. And then it's important to note, and we see in, in John, actually, let's turn to John 21, um, verse, uh, you know, verse 15. So, so John is the one who records this guy named Peter who denies Jesus three times. So he's the one who's denied Jesus, and then John just slips in that detail that, like, yeah, I saw and I believe right away, right, with the women. And so in verse 15 of uh, John 21, when, when they had finished eating, so this is a little later on in the story, Jesus says to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs, which is a, a euphemism for, you know, taking care of people, taking care of the movement. 
He's asked him to do this, and he finds him back at his original vocation, his first vocation where Jesus found him, which is fishing. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. So he says it again. The third time he said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. So this is him mirroring back to Peter the three times that he denied Jesus. And now here in the story, we have Jesus asking him three times in some sort of like moment of restoration. Uh, Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you that when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said, follow me. This is an epic moment. Peter has just been restored by Jesus. He said, look, look, I know, I, know, I, know, I know what's really in your heart. Come back to me. Feed my sheep. Take care of this movement. I'm about to go. Things are about to change. I'm putting you, in some sense, in, in charge of shepherding this. And then he says, but I want you to know this is going to be tough. And so he gives him a vision, and we'll get to this in a moment, of what the end of his life is actually going to look like, and it's not good. It's like, hey, Jay, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you're going to do amazing things, but I, I kind of got some insight that like, this is going to be really hard, and it's not going to end in some sort of like retirement home on a lake. Things are going are to end badly. But follow. Follow me is what Jesus says to Peter. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved again, it's like he doesn't even have a name in the book. Was following them. So John's nearby. Uh, this was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? So we've already gotten the sense that there's a little rivalry here. Peter just gets some serious news, like things, things are, are, are going to end badly. For you, for you, or it's going to be it's going to be complicated on how this thing's going to end, and so Peter notices that John's in earshot, and Peter looks to Jesus and goes, "Well, yeah, yikes! Well, what about him, the guy who runs really fast, and apparently whom you're, he's going to write later that like you love him more than you love me?" Jesus answered, "If I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you?" You must follow me. Because of this, the rumor spread among the believers that this disciple would not die, but Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, if, you want, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? Fascinating. Apparently, once upon a time, people distorted Jesus' words for their own advantage. Who knew? You'll get that one on the way home, I guess. <laughs> what is that to you? This is a sacred moment. If you're even like remotely familiar with church history, like Peter is a big deal. The Basilica, the Pope, like most of like ancient Christianity circles around in large part around Peter. Peter has just been giving, given the calling of the ages, a incredibly epic call on his life. And he is thinking about What's going to happen to John? 
We, we read um, from a number of places. I just pulled these from Fox's Book of, of Martyrs. Uh, this is like a 15th century doc- document. This isn't like I pulled this from Fox, the network. Um, some of you are like, oh, I didn't know Fox had a, had a martyr program. Oh, there's like six jokes in there. I'm going to hold off on that. Whoo! Um, so, so we learned that John, this is through church history, we learned that John, this is in the scripture, that he was ordered to be sent to Rome where it was affirmed that he had, he had been tortured in some ways, a cauldron of boiling oil. He escaped by this miracle. Domitian, who's one of the, um, the emperors at that time, banished him to the Isle of Patmos, and that's where he wrote the book of Revelation. Um, but we learned that he was the only apostle who escaped violent death. That's John, the guy who wrote the book, the one that Jesus loves, who runs really fast. Peter, though, was crucified, his head being down and his feet up. So he was crucified upside down because he said um, he was unworthy to be crucified after the same form and manner that the Lord was. So that's how the story ends for Peter. Peter, you are going to um, be led into places, Jesus says, you don't want to go. Their deaths occur in very different ways. Peter's response when Jesus gives him a call is, is what's he going to do? What about him? And Jesus responds back with, what is that to you? I don't know about you, but how many times have you been invited to follow Jesus and you get sidetracked and you miss your unique path? Turn with me, if you would, to Genesis 27. Let's start at uh, verse 18. It's the story of Jacob and Esau. Some of you may know this story. So Jacob uh, has a brother named Esau. Esau is his powerful older brother. Um, and there's this symbolic thing that would happen in ancient cultures where the oldest son would get this sort of special blessing. Jacob is not the oldest son. Jacob wants this blessing and sort of all that comes with it, the resources, the namesake, all of this. And so Jacob dresses up like his brother Esau. He puts like, apparently his brother's really, really hairy, really strong, a really hairy guy. I don't know, hairy Ted Nugent or something. And he, um, I don't know where that came from. And he, uh, he puts like animal skins on, like fur on his arms to trick his father who was going blind. He was pretty senile at this point. And so what's interesting to point out, before I read this, is that in Hebrew literature, it's incredibly, incredibly, incredibly important to take note of when a character is introduced. So when a story is introduced, when you have somebody who is, um, like, comes on the scene, what often happens is the first little bit, the first couple words, the first, like, scene will most most often will come back later on in the story. In other words, there's like a historical telling, but then the writers who happen to be telling this particular part of that character's story are trying to tell you another story. There's, there's this, the truth of what happens, and, and then there's the bigger thing and story that's happening. How and what is this saying to us? So Genesis 27, uh, what did I say? Verse 18. He went to his father and said, my father, yes, my son, he answered, who is it? So Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Please sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. When we first find Jacob, he is uh, not comfortable in being himself. (laughs) When we first find Jacob, he is lying and cheating and he is pretending to be someone else. 
Genesis 32, something profound happens in this story. If you're following along, you can also just like click the button on your Bible app. That'll work too. Genesis 32. My jokes are awesome this morning. Give it up for Andrew. Something profound, something profound happens. Verse 26, Genesis 32. And the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. So, so just further along in the journey, he is journeying back home. Jacob's journeying back home. Uh, he's heading back to, to reconcile with his family. This is years later. And so he's been on a physical journey, but as we're going to see, there's a bit of a spiritual one. Then the man said, let me go for it's daybreak. Jacob replied, I will not let you go until you bless me. So what's happening here is Jacob has got this run-in with like an angel or some sort of like spiritual figure. Something's going on in this moment where Jacob is, um, is, is being confronted with, with God in some mysterious way. The man said, let me go for his daybreak. Jacob said, I'm not going to let you go. This angel go unless you bless me. The man who asked him, what is your name? Jacob answered. Then the man said, your name will no." He said, I'm sorry. Then the man asked, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. So this is the first time in the story, if we had time to go through this whole story, that he, he actually calls himself by his name. This is, comes to the culmination of the whole thing. And he says, actually, what is your name? Instead, he doesn't lie. And he says, his name is Jacob. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel. <laughs> I always think it's funny. It's like he finally gets it right and finally says, no, I'm comfortable in who I am. And, uh, and then the angel changes his name to Israel. He replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying this, it is because I saw God face to face, yet my life was spared. When you met him, when we first meet him, the question from dad is, what is your name? And he answers with a lie. And then he's confronted with God at the end of the story, and your name is Jacob. Maybe what happens is we're not okay with how God m made us. Maybe this is something that we struggle with. We wish we were. We wish we had. We wish this had taken place differently, if only this. And of course, in our day and age, no one, it's the, the greatest sin in the world is to admit that out loud. But if sanctuary can be a sanctuary for a moment, maybe we can be honest about being frustrated with the cards that we have dealt. We were doing a series on forgiveness, the last series that we did. Uh, uh, one of the, the sort of things I was inviting people to do is not just forgiving other people for what has happened to you or forgiving yourself for what you had done or, or in some sense um, uh, like sort of reconciling with, with God in the ways that God didn't answer maybe a prayer you had wanted. There was this one that for whatever reason hit home with the most people. I got more feedback on this point than anything else in the entire four-week series we did on forgiveness. And it was when I mentioned, like, some of you just need to forgive life for being unfair. Which is pretty out there. That I don't know how exactly you do that. But it was, you need to just come to grips. In a way, you almost need to, like, just, just let go of the fact that you, you, you are not living somebody else's life. And that thing that you wanted to have happen to you didn't happen to you. I mean, this hits home on Mother's Day. 
The reason why we, we don't just invite everybody who's a biological mom to just stand up. Currently, are you a biological mom? Stand up. Let's just pray for you and bless you. And we give all of the caveats and we give all of the explanations and we, we like pay homage to those that are struggling and how difficult this day is for so many. Like we do that, right? For a number of reasons because we want to be compassionate and caring and meeting people where we're at. But we're acknowledging that things just don't always go the way you want them to. And we're acknowledging the disconnect and hurt that we often feel in these moments. It's interesting that he gets named called Israel. This is like giving, he's given the name Israel at this point. It's like once he gets his name right, and this is like the universal purposes that God has for him. He's saying you are going to be representative of a whole new thing that's entering into the world. He has to come to terms that he is Jacob. And God having these big purposes for him, but God can't use him when he doesn't want to be who he is. God can't like, fix your pretend desires. And God can't help you become who you were created to be if you are desiring to be someone else. Now, this is true for an individual. Let's keep going through the scripture here. But this can also be true for groups. Like if only we had those teachers, if only we had those staff, if only like things operated in this way. If you want to turn with me to 1 Samuel 8, 4. 1 Samuel 8.4. These Jewish people, the people that we've been reading a little bit about, these, these Israelites, are meant to be a blessing to the world, and they're meant to be ruled by God. A lot of times when it comes around political season, I love to preach in this passage because we, we're, we, we get a reminder of like who we were called to be and, what, and who is supposed to be leading us. So it's a great moment for us as followers of Jesus always to go, where are our allegiances? And where does our primary allegiance need to always be? Jesus says, no, you're not ruled like the other nations by a king or by a president. Things are are meant to be different for you. But this is sort of the beginning of that narrative. All the elders, um, 1 Samuel 8, 4. So all of the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, you're old and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. When they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord and the Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected. They're not meant to be led by a king. And they go, look at all of the other nations and look how those things are going Let's be like all of the other nations. It's a bit hard just sort of trusting in God. We need some structure here. We need a new law. We need something else. The plan was for God to rule. Verse 11 then talks about this is what the king will reign over you and do, it says in 1 Samuel 8, verse verse 11. He said, this is what the king will reign over you, will claim as his rights. He will take your sons and make them serve with his chariots and horses. This is like the ancient equivalent of like tanks and missiles. And they will run in front of his chariots. Some he will assign to be commanders and thousands of commanders, uh, thousands of commanders of fifties and others to plow his ground and reap his harvest and still others to make weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. Some of you are like, I didn't know being a baker was like a punishment. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards. He will take a tenth of your grain. I mean, literally, it's like, if you want that, it'll come and there'll be structure. But like, you'll have a lot of war and a lot of taxes. 
<laughs> like you're going to get fully what, what you, you think you know what you're asking for. And it is just all predicated on this idea of like, we'll look at the other nations and what they have. These people have a very specific God-given calling to be a blessing to the world. The one that the Messiah is going to come out of, the way this thing is getting put back together, it's starting here. And you want to be like everybody else? Really? It's like our confession this morning. Our moment where we just kind of tried to name and acknowledge the fact that we want lesser loves. This is a story of that. We, we are down, like Lewis says, we're like down in the muck and the mud and missing a like where we really are, which is like a holiday at sea. It's like we've been given all of this and we, we get muddled down in the details. Turn with me, if you would, to Exodus 20. Exodus 20. Exodus 20 is, is the Ten Commandments. This like mirrors a marriage ceremony, a covenant marriage ceremony. These, these 10 commandments, these invitations to life. This is like, here's how we're going to live together. Here's what it means for you to live out the people of God. These are not just random abstract things. Now, what's interesting about the, the, the 10 commandments is the first nine are externally observable. Like if you're not honoring your parents, if you commit murder, we can, we can see that. Right? Give me a yeah. Yeah, so like you can, these are all, every single one of these are externally observable. And then you get to the last one. Don't steal, don't do all these things like, oh, I can see you doing that. And there's this really ancient commentary that I think is fascinating. Turn with me to verse 13, Exodus 20, verse 13. Shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. Sorry, verse 17. You shall not cover, covet your neighbor's house. Your neighbor's wife, male or female servant, ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. So, like, don't, like, their, their, their iPhone, their Lexus, like, don't, their job, like, don't, don't covet, don't covet, don't covet. Now, the 10th, some ancient commentaries point this out, is sort of different in that way. How do you know? How do you know someone's coveting? It may spill over into some other things that they're doing, but how do you really know if they're coveting, if that's what's in their heart? I could be having a coveting party right now. You don't know. Like you, just, you, you don't know what's happening in somebody's heart. And, and because it's internal, the question is, why is the 10th different? And so this one commentary says that the 10th command, stay with me, the 10th command is a reward. It's almost like, it's not like thou shalt not covet. It's like, no, 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 you're not going to covet. Because, and this is the observation, is that when you live the way that God teaches you to live, you won't want anyone else's life. You won't be tempted to covet when you step into the life that God has called for you. When you obey the first nine commandments, when you obey and walk in the way of Jesus, you're not going to want anyone else's life. You're not going to need that validation or that affirmation or that place of comfort because all of it will be coming from Christ. You'll be okay with your own self. It's like, no, 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 you, you won't actually need to covet. Lastly, last passage today, and then we'll, we'll bring this to a close. Job chapter 5, verse 2. Job 
Job has a lot of, uh, it's, a, it's a cheery book. Really, really, really happy book. Some of you who are brand new to the way of Jesus are like, oh, cool, I'm going to go read that. Don't, don't. If you're, if, you're in a, if you're in a rut, don't start there. There's this one little passage in Job. Let me turn to this here. Job 5 2. It reads this. This is a little poetry. And it says, Resentment kills a fool, and envy slays the simple. The fool and the simple in Hebrew thought are unreflective people. They're people who, do, who um, they get sucked into the same issues and same temptations over and over and over again. The person who never questions their patterns. They're the unreflective person. And it says resentment. Any of you struggling with resentment this morning? Oh, a few bold hands are going to go up. I'm betting it's more than that. Resentment kills a fool. When someone finds themselves in a place of resentment for what someone else has or is envious of them, it, 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 this is violent language. It kills the fool. It slays the simple. It kills the unreflective one. It slays the person who's not paying attention to this. It's because envy and resentment will kill you. So this will be their downfall. Peter is being told by Jesus, who just, just came back from the dead. This is a pivotal moment in, in human history, in just Peter's life. And he is given a call. If Jesus says, I have a life for you. And Peter says, what about you? What about him? What about that guy? Is it going to be fair? You were given a call. And in fact, let's take this one step further. Sometimes you were given a call and you misstepped and you made mistakes and sin entered. And there was a little bit of a, like the Holy Spirit had to come in and do a little GPS. Like, all right, we were going to go that way, redirecting. We're going this way now. And we know that for those who love him and seek him, who will come with repentance, God will make a new way. God will bring beauty out of ashes. God will restore that which is broken. So even things that you may be like, well, that was my own doing and I jacked it all up. And now I'm looking at what that person had who was faithful. It's like the invitation back. Both Peter and John are pretty jacked up people. These aren't like two perfect saints. They have made major mistakes. And Jesus says in that moment, what, what is it to you what happens to him? I've called you to something. Think about the subtle and petty ways that we compare Maybe it's the failure to do the hard work of becoming who you were created to be. You're not your mother or your father or your teammate, your brother or your sister. Some of you, you're like, yeah, but I want to be. And others of you are like, thank God. <laughs> Stop competing. Gosh, just as like a pastor of sanctuary for a moment, like not that I was anything else before then, I guess, but like, as somebody who's like, I get really passionate about seeing other people become passionate and become alive to what Jesus is doing in the world. Like, can I just say this, like, just gently to those of you who struggle with this, like, we, we need you. Like, the people next to you need you to be you. You being someone else is not helping anyone, especially yourself. 
Like there's a personal freedom and, and, and grace and peace that comes from this whole message that I'm going to land on in a moment. But, but we, we also need, like others need you to be you. If you're not you, nobody else can be. And, and maybe there's some people that, that God has called you to, to, to serve. Maybe there's some things God's called you to be about. Maybe there's some anxiety that's getting in the way of what God wants to pour into you. Maybe the comparison game. If you're anything like, like me, like in your career, you like see somebody else doing that and you're like, oh, maybe we should go in that direction. Maybe we should do that. Maybe we should start that program. There's tr- these things called church conferences, church planning conferences. And any of you who are in like the entrepreneurial world, the startup world, like they feel very similar. And you just go into a massive lobby of some mega church in, in like Florida and literally, and, and you go through the hallway and it's just this program, this program, this thing, this thing, like really helpful ideas. Like if you could just get this one financial service or this discipleship curriculum or this way to plant church or go with this network and they'll give you this money and this support and this thing. And here's how to find pop-up banners that don't explode on you and break. Like here's how to set up like extra quicker, 10 times faster. You can set up church in a school. It's not quite that bad, but it's close. I say all that, and that what that does to me often is like, oh, it reminds me of how I'm not doing that that well. I don't preach as well as that guy. I don't have enough systems thinking like that person. Like, I know that she does that way better than I ever could. Like, it just reminds me of all the ways that, well, if I, I guess if I adopted that and they created that program, maybe I could step in. And I have been rebuked multiple times by friends. And I hope you have friends like this in your life who have just pulled me aside and been like, what was that? Knock it off. That's not you. That's not who God created you to be. There might be more people who come, or you might see success in these metrics. I don't know what that is for you. You might attain more money here. But God didn't call you to that, and I guarantee you in the long run it's going to make you miserable. And frankly, Andrew, you're not good at being other people. Is that preaching to anybody? Like, if if you're not supposed to do that, you're actually probably going to be a lousy version. You're going to be like a bad photocopy. Like, I think it's there, kind of doing it, but that's not you. Resentment kills and envy slays. It destroys your joy, your soul, your freedom. I have noticed in seasons where this has been a struggle for me, my joy takes a shot. A friend of mine told me this story. Let's close with this. I can invite the band up told me a story about a counselor he was going to. And, uh, and, and he was saying that he would over and over, I remember this phrase, he just kept saying as he was talking about some of the, the trials and struggles and, and there's nothing epic, just stuff that was happening in his life. He kept saying to the counselor, hey, is this, is this normal? Is this normal for other people? Do other people go through this? Is this normal? And the counselor would keep having to push back over and over and over, just saying, like, it doesn't matter what's normal for someone else. Like, normal for who? Counselor, just keep going back. Like, like no, like, no, maybe it's normal for them. Yeah, maybe it's not normal for who, who you, who, who you're trying to, to impress, who you're trying to, to be. What's, what's, what's normal? You need to be on your true path. You need to be on your true path. And so just think of all the ways that we do that. Well, they don't. Well, they don't. Well, they don't. And let's reflect for a moment that Jesus hasn't called you to be them. Jesus says to you, like he said to Peter, follow me. 
Don't follow them. Follow me. Follow me. Not to like distract from this moment, but I just I just got the this overwhelming sense. Like, like the folks in the room right now who have like who are really struggling with their faith, maybe because they, they saw like a of a, 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 I don't know, a friend or a pastor like kind of fall apart or a church fall apart or you're having a hard time believing all those people who call themselves Christians could do that in the news or whatever. Like, like I, one, like I, 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 I get that. That's real. That's real. But can I just say, I think sometimes, sometimes in that is a bunch of people who, who are, who are sort of following, you can even follow church and follow a pastor and follow it like Christianity as sort of a lifestyle augmentation or follow it as like a tradition that you came up with. You know what I'm saying? Like you can follow it in those sorts of ways and you're actually not following God. You're actually not following Christ. I don't know if that relates to anyone in the room. I just kind of felt this overwhelming sense to share that. Like for some of us, this invitation is, I, like I haven't, we haven't spoken we haven't spoken so long. We haven't spoke like in so long, Jesus. We haven't spoken so long. Follow me. Follow me. It doesn't matter what's normal for whoever. Follow me. A friend of mine recently, um, a new friend of mine, uh, got something that was said, a Greek word that was said in a sermon. She got it tattooed on her arm. I felt like I'd made it as a pastor. Like I can retire now. I was thinking about like things I would tattoo on my body. <laughs> like, like, like reminders. And I just thought for me, if you're anything like me, you need Jesus's invitation. Jesus's question back to John. It's brilliant. Back to Peter. When Peter goes, so what about, what about John? What about the guy who runs really fast and is kind of a little full of himself? What about, what about that guy? And I need to hear the words, what is that to you? What is that to you? Come here, follow me. I have something for you. Jesus Christ, Son of God, pray for freedom, deliverance, joy to come, Lord, from some of us today, just sort of recommitting themselves, recommitting themselves to walk with you, to identify, to, to, to pinpoint, like maybe the, the places where there is uh, like comparison have, have just robbed them of peace, robbed them of clarity. I was robbed for clarity, Lord. You know this for so long like what I was supposed to step into, what you are inviting me to. Sometimes I almost just compare against my, like my dreams for myself that, that aren't inspired by you. Lord, I pray you inspire the dreams of people here, the vision for the next season. This would be like the most non-anxious place in the world because people are stepping into the, the call that you've put on their life. And so as we come to the table, Lord, we pray just freedom and joy. I bless this room with just a freedom and joy of hearing the question, what is that to you? What happens to him? What is that to you?
what would I choose to do with her, what her life looks like, what her track looks like, what his path looks like, what their path looks like, what that organization's path looks like. Who is that to you? Who is that to you? Yeah, yeah but those people, they, 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 but that, that nation had a king. Yeah, but I want the, 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 the birthright. Yeah, but I want to make sure things are fair. I pray just freedom would cover this place, Lord. Freedom, freedom, freedom. In Christ's name we pray. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to sing a song. And we're going to take communion as we do this. We're going to come to the table, take the bread and the cup. This song um, is called New, New Wine. And, and it, it borrows its language um, from a number of places. But it's this imagery of like what happens with grapes. Right, in becoming something much more and elegant and beautiful and celebratory. It's in the crushing and in the in the in the in the breaking. It's 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 in the okay, I need to like I need to die to myself. Like Jesus bring new wine out of me. Because where there's new wine, there's new power and new freedom. I lay down my offering. Like it's I want what you want. Make me a vessel, make me an offering. And then there's the most dangerous prayer you will ever pray in church. So straight up, just don't sing it if you're not ready for it because God will honor it and it's a mess in the best way. It's, Lord, make me whatever you want me to be. Like it's just a re-like, okay, I got some things. I got some I got some work, I got some job, I got some internal scripts, I got some paranoia, I got some comparison games going on, I got some frustration, I got this, I got just laying it all on the table saying, God, I just want to be me, I want to be who you called me to be, I want to be free of comparison so I can lean in and joy and there's not any resentment in my bones. There's nothing but encur- I'm like I've become a master encourager. My cynicism takes like a shot to the gut. Like, it's just done. I don't need to be cynical. I don't need to compare. I don't need to need that because, I, God, I'm, I'm stepping into what you have in my path. So as we come to the table, we're going to be reminded of Christ's body broken and his blood poured out for us. We are invited to celebrate this on the regular by the scriptures, to remember Christ's sacrifice is laying down his life for even us. So today, maybe I want to invite you to, to, to be reminded of the personal dynamic that's happening here. The, the God of the universe laying down his life for even you. And you are forgiven and free. And might we receive both sustenance, forgiveness, or an, an energy and power for the journey forward in our path. So let's sing, let's pray, let's reflect. And let's come to the table together as we close our time. Sound good?